0: My father bought a house. <laughs> I remember as today, he paid 1,050 penge for it. You know, it was an awful lot of money because it was one of the nicest houses in the district. No, he didn't have start roof. We still had a house, yeah. There was space for everybody, yeah. So it was a nice house. The, the house was built, it was very like an island. See, like this. But the house was here. There was nothing here, nothing then? Just only that one house was like an island. Mm-hmm. And we had a beautiful backyard, backyard and front yard. The backyard was full of fruit, fruit trees. In the front, my father used to love flowers. And he was planting a lot of flowers in the front yard. You know, so We had a very, very nice house. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing that all the fruit trees what we had in the back. As kids... We were not satisfied with that. We went to next door neighbor, steal fruit. <laughs> I remember, I used to take a piece of stick and cut it in like like a V, and there was a grape, wine grape, you know? I used, to, and they had a fence. How could I do it? I put in the stick and I turned it, the grape came, and I was slowly, slowly went, and I... <laughs> It, but the fruit that we had in the backyard it was not, not good enough. That tasted good, but we had to go and steal it. I was born in Haydohat House. That was, I would say about 60, 70 kilometers from Baghdad. We were seven siblings. My oldest sister was Olga. She was two years older than I was. And Ferry and Ernie, my older brothers, then my sister Lily. She was two years younger. And I had a brother, his name was Tibby. He was also already four years younger. And I had little sisters. She was Magda, and she was every two years, my parents, they had a child. <laughs> then came in the Jewish law, they started taking us away from from Bagda. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so we ever talked about it. I don't think so. I ever talked to your kids about it. I don't think so. See, it's not easy to talk about it. It's very, very difficult because no matter what, things coming back. The feeling comes back because you lost your parents. The feeling comes back that you know when you were divided. You you, are, you were an animal, not a human being. You know. I mean, you had no name, only thing you had a number. And you never had, had an idea, are you ever, ever you're going to be free? My grandfather was born in northeastern Hungary in 1928 in a small town called Hajjahadhaz. Two years ago, we sat down after lunch, and my family interviewed him about his life in the Holocaust. Grandfather, in Hungarian is Night Papa, but we always just called him Papa. My father had a business, and he made a very, very good living. We were seven of us, seven, seven siblings plus the parents. But as soon as my father Jewish came in, they took my father to. Labor, hard labor camp, and econ- the situation became quite difficult to make a living. We were not allowed to go to stores. We were not allowed to buy food. We were not allowed to do anything. We were always very strict. Any little thing we had to do, being a Jew, it was dangerous to go out or do anything. They took, I don't know where they took him. I think they went to Ukraine. Or, he was there for about six months or so that he came home. And if he was home, then he would start doing the business a little bit more. But he couldn't get permit to go to the wholesaler to get the supply. Because being a Jew, so a Gentile person opened up the business, the same as my father. So this his business went right down. And it was very difficult to support a family of nine. And situation becomes very, very bad, because we couldn't walk on the street. We were afraid to walk on the street because all the Gentiles they knew where we were going to the Jewish, Hebrew school, and they were waiting for us at night time, because we went to Hebrew school after the public school. We went to the Hebrew school and they finished at 7 o'clock at night and they were waiting for us on the corner. They tried to beat us up all the time. It was quite dangerous, a very, very bad situation in, in, in a small village for the, to being a Jew. They started taking us away from, from Bakhto to the ghetto. They came, the Germans came into the village. They got all the Jewish people. My father was w- wounded in the First World War. He was in the Hungarian army, also in the German army. He was decorated with a German iron cross. That's one of the highest a Jew could get being decorated. And when SS came into the village, to our home, and my father showed him the iron cross, and they told my father that he'd exceptional, he has to stay in back home they should not deport us but the hungarian policemen they said we don't want to have any jew at all in the village this way we were deported also with the rest of the jews so we came in from bakta with the little wagons they had to take a few small things whatever we could just get together they told us we can only get a few small items to go to the get we didn't know where we were going to go so they took us to kishvarda in the, while we were in the ghetto, we had no food, hardly any food left over because we couldn't take enough food with us and they didn't give us any food, hardly any food. And being the age of 16, they, ch- they were choosing me to be a policeman to guard the ghetto, had to stay outside of the ghetto, around the ghetto. They gave me a, a broomstick that was my weapon to be careful, nobody should escape. And I I had to stay in the corner during the night from 6 o'clock at night to midnight to to be a policeman. And every time when I was standing in the corner, the Hungarian police came around. And sometimes we fell asleep because we were kids. You know, we couldn't stay awake all this time. So all the time, they used to beat us up. And from the ghetto, they got us all together, they put us in a train about 100 and 150 people in a small cattle train. And we were together like like sardines. We couldn't move. And again, there was no food. And they took us from Kishwarda and to Auschwitz. While we were going, we, the, the train couldn't, couldn't continue going. We had, this, we had to stop overnight in different places. In the meantime, they didn't give us any food, didn't give us any water, didn't give us anything. Unfortunately, quite a few of us, I mean, the elderly people, didn't make it while we were sitting in, in the train. So what they had to do, they had to get all those people to, who died, they put them on top of each other. And naturally, we were between them. All the dot, dead people. And this we were going, uh, took us about three or four days in the cattle wagon to get to Auschwitz. When we arrived in Auschwitz, I was together with my siblings, five siblings plus my parents. My older sister, she was two years older than I was, she was 18. I was 16 by that time. And when we arrived at Auschwitz, so th- there was an SS called, the, he was called Mandela. I'm sorry, not Mandela. <laughs> Mengele. Mengele. Man- <laughs> Mengele. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he was the one who was separating us, which way some people go to the working, but we didn't know what, what does it mean, which way we're gonna go. So he was asking me, how old are you? And I have no idea, up till today, I'm thinking many, many times why did I say I was 18 years of age? Because I was only 16. If I were to say I was 16, probably I wouldn't be here today. So unfortunately, I lost my sisters, my mother, they put him in a different section, and I was with my father, we went on the same, same section my little brother all of them they went with my older sister because my older sister was holding the hand of my little brother and my little sister i had also a younger sister so they all went unfortunately on the other side but we had no idea they told us we're just going to go there and we're going to reunite at certain certain place at certain time we were there about uh, maybe a couple thousand people in one big barrack we could not lay down we were sitting like this, and the next one had to just sit in the next, like this, and that's the way we were sleeping all day, all night. And actually, there was no food. First five days, we didn't get any food at all. And after that, they started giving us some food, that was food that the pigs would get better food, but we had a little water and a little skin from the potato, that was the meal. So naturally, everybody was starving from hunger, so we tried to get. By the time, I'm standing in line, but my turn was nothing left over, because I was taught with my parents, you have to respect the elders. I always respected the elders, let them go first, have the food. Meantime, I was already so weak, I couldn't had nothing to eat for days and days, so I decided I'm not going to be polite, I'm going to be, try to survive, so I went twice, even three times before the elders, But once, so one day becoming to anybody wants to volunteer to go to hard labor somewhere. We want to go get away, no matter where to go. I volunteered. My father and I both volunteered. We wanna go away from Auschwitz. So naturally, I being a young one, they don't take me. They took my father so we were separated from my father and i haven't seen him after that i never saw him i don't know where he went i have no idea what he did i don't know what happened to him yeah you know we were together with a, a jew who converted to Christianity to be a christian but the, according to SS, once you born a Jew, you were a Jew. So this guy, every morning we used to get, stand outside, because we couldn't get inside. No rain or shine, we had to be stand outside. He always used to say, "You dirty Jew, you are gonna die here." He was there with us. I was being a Jew, and every single time he say, "You dirty Jew, you dirty Jew," you know. No, no, he was a Jewish guy, not a couple. He was same as we are. He thought he's, he's a gentile, he but he was deported the same as we were. So we couldn't stand it any longer. You know, there was fence in the camp, you know, they should not be able to escape. It's all electrical fence. We pushed him against the fence. We just pushed him further, further, further into the fence. And he died. They came again. Anybody wants to volunteer, go to different place to work. Naturally, I always volunteered just to get away from Auschwitz. Fortunately, they took me to Dachau. And to Dachau, when I was there, I was in a chain gang. I had to <coughs> un- unload cement from the, from the wagon. And, and I, used to, I worked for a B- BMW. I worked there because we had to unload the cement into a cement mixer from the, from the train. And they put the cement bag you know, on your shoulder, and we were going in a circle like they put the cement on your shoulder. We had to put it on, we had to dump it. You we went back, and this day was going on for 10 hours a day. After uh, your skin was all rubbed off from your shoulder because the cement was so hard. And there was no more skin on your shoulder, there was only flesh. So what I did, I took a piece of paper, you know, from the cement cement bag, I put it on my shoulder, then I got an infection on my shoulder from because of the cement. In the morning he had to get up very early, he had to stand in line and then go to work. There was ten, twelve hours a day shift. You know, can you imagine to work twelve hours a day uh, unloading cement on your shoulders. Well, I was in Dachau, we were not very clean. We were full with lice all the time. Naturally, once a week, when they come to check it if you're full with lice, they have to go to a place disinfected. And when you go there, they undress you, all naked. You go t- take a shower. They take your clothes away and they put some chemicals on your body. It burns like hell and you, they, don't, they don't have a towel. You're all wet. All that we do during the night, we all got together in like a big group. We kept ourselves warm. And this was going on quite a few times. But I was crying like a baby the next day. I remember I was one day they called me they called my number so I had to go to, to this bed next day calling my number again said so I guess somebody must have give my number mm-hmm. because they wouldn't call me twice in the same in a row mm-hmm. I had to go to twice the same thing you know it was cold like anything you know freezing wet body and this chemical burned like anything else. So we got our clothes back in the morning. Thank so you, where we slept, we slept in, in the barracks. It was just a, a bunk. There was no, no mattress, no straw, nothing. Just on top of a wood. And, and that's how we slept. We took the jacket. That was our pillow. There was no blanket or anything. I did nothing. That's the way we slept. they had to they put me into somewhere else. Somewhere else I had to go ahead to work. They put me in into BMW, still in the same factory. So the Germans, what they did, they were building airplanes in this place. But the Americans and the English, they came to bomb the place all the time. And it was not secure enough, not enough cement on top of the building, the bomb shouldn't go through. So we had to pour cement on top of the building. All the time, the Russians, the English, and the Americans, they used to come and bomb Munich. We knew exactly who was coming. Is the certain time the English came, certain time the Americans, and we were the happiest people when they come to bomb. We didn't have to go to work. not sure what happening. They took us in a certain place where the Germans tried to shoot down the, the planes, you know, just a big altar, you know. And we got to the place, and it was so noisy. Can you imagine all those big guns start shooting you know, and you thought you're gonna die from the noise. I had a friend of mine, he was deaf. He, was, he never heard anything in his life. So can you imagine when, first time in his life, he heard some noise. He said to me, the way was, saying, Bill, Bill, what's happening? He couldn't understand what's, ha- what's happening. But naturally I couldn't explain to him because he didn't, didn't hear me. So luckily, somehow I, I talking to somebody, trying to get an easier job. So they went to work in a warehouse. And this warehouse, I was very, very fortunate. There was Nobody was allowed to get into this warehouse. Myself, my cousin, and a Polish guy, Sonny. We were three of us, we were able to get into this warehouse. So this warehouse was something like that. The Germans, they used to take anything, everywhere they could get hold on to it, from Hungary, for all those countries that they occupied, they used to bring into this warehouse. And I had to go ahead and sort everything, put it in different places. One day I was bringing something from Holland and I found, you know, those big, big stones but they have like, you know, mm-hmm. sharpened the knives, you know. This, and I thought there was a stone. Somehow, I realized that there wasn't a stone. That was cheese. Big piece of cheese, you know, those big, big cheese. And can you imagine not having food? to Find something like possibly maybe 10 kilos or 20, a big, big one. So naturally, I was hiding, getting in the warehouse. And every day I got a piece of, you know, for eat, not for, for myself. I gave my cousin, and I gave to the Polish guy, and I gave a couple guys, everybody who was hungry, because said I know everybody would love to have a piece of cheese because never had cheese before I was the one being like your youngest one I had to go every single day get the food for the assessed the, while the, where we were working for lunch. I had I built a little wagon and I put the can inside and I went into the kitchen in a little town about ten, five or ten kilometers away we had to walk and I was going with an SS and the SS was following me <coughs> behind me with a gun holding in his head and I had to go front of head and he was following me with a gun. so. I bring in the food for the SS and I was keeping it for the SS for the 12 of to came, I should give them the food. So I when I used to bring in the food and always the little container, there was always meat on the top of it of the container. Me stupid enough, I stole half of them, I took it away from them, and naturally was dividing between my friends. And once the assess was complaining to the kitchen, and happened to be, I knew the guy in the kitchen where he, was work, where he was working, so they complained to him, how come they are not getting enough meat? So the, f- this guy, the, it, I will call a friend of mine, in the kitchen, he said to me, Bill, tell me one thing, tell the truth, what are you doing? Are you doing something with the meat? Because the assessors are complaining, They're not getting enough, and I know I'm sending enough for them, but they're not getting enough. So naturally, I'm not going to tell them what I did. So from that on, I made sure I just took a small piece for myself and nobody else, and that would have been the end of me if if they would catch me. But I had no choice. This way is no good, and that way is no good. But I was never afraid. I did it so naturally already every single day that I had to do something. But again, I'm not afraid. We were in Dachau, and natural food later on got scarce. We're not muddy the food. So Sunday, because we didn't go to work, so they told us we had to go to the field and pick out the potatoes, the carrots, anything was left, the farmers left on the field, we should try to take it out. But they wouldn't give us a shovel or any tool. We had to dig it all by hand. Naturally, everything was frozen. It was very difficult. Even today, when it gets cold a little bit, my fingertips, they were frozen. I still have pain. All the time when it gets cold, I have pain. I I don't know, many times, like Debbie noticed that when I go in my car, I had the heat on. I had to put my hand to the heater because I have so much pain. It's very, very painful. <clears throat> so again, being in the camp in Dachau, we had to go to work. One day was Yom Kippur and they get, we, everyone, we had to go to a big place, they were counting us how many, where you're gonna go to work. The SS announced that today is Yom Kippur. He said in Hebrew, You're gonna to go to work, but you're not gonna you're not gonna get food. So we're working, we had no food. Then come a time when the Americans are getting close to Germany. So we knew already there's some problem goes on, because we always heard about the more bombing, less bombing. We knew exactly that they must come to the end of the war. So we were in Dachau, they put us into the wagon again, because the, river, the city didn't want to have anybody, prisoners, left over in that village. They told us, they put us in the wagon, they're, they're going to take us somewhere. Like, into Mittenwald. They're gonna kill all of us. So we were in a train for a couple of days and we got into a place and they put us on a on big, big empty field. On one side was a big mountain and a river. And end they put us right there and, and it was snowing very, very hard. Naturally, we have no clothes, just a very small, light clothes. And it was freezing, we were laying on the ground, it was snowing. And we heard all the time that SS was shooting at us. And I don't know how many people got killed. I don't know how many people survived because it was at night time during the night. So my cousin, myself, and this Polish guy, so we decided what we're going to do. If we're going to stay here, we're going to die. What we should do? Try to escape the SS guarding us in front of us. So what should we do? Try to escape? Try to do something? We couldn't decide what we we're going to do. So finally, we decided we we're going to stand up and we we're going to walk up front of the SS. We are hoping they are sleeping, or maybe we are hoping that they're not going to do anything to us. So we just stood up, and all three of us we passed front of the SS, and fortunately, they didn't do anything to us. You know, some of them—they were not all of them very, very bad. They had—they called it War, Wehrmacht. Wehrmacht was better than the SS. Mm-hmm. So probably they were the Wehrmacht and they knew that Americans getting closer. Probably they knew they don't want to have blood on their hand. We went quite a few and we were hiding in a place where they used to store hay. And we were hiding there in the in the hay sack. So naturally we heard the dogs coming because they searching for us. So you know the German shepherds they coming. So what we're going to do, we start We start running. Where are we going to run? We can't far, run too far, far away. We, we, went, we went across the river, and the shepherd the dog didn't come after us because the dogs can't have the smell when you go through a river. So naturally, it was very, very cold, you know, because no shoes or nothing. They were chasing us, we were running. We went up top of the mountains. But even up to today, I have no idea where did I get the food? Where did I have the strength? We had no food. We had no, I know, what we, we, I had a, it was eating snow because there was a little water, but food, I don't know. How could we survive with no food for days? So we went up top of the mountains because we didn't want to have the, again, the, the German Shepherd running after us. So we, luckily, we went up top of the mountains and we were hiding there. So we were hiding there again all three of us and we heard some noise like machine, like a tank or something. We didn't know what it, what kind of noise is coming up. So we figured we're gonna come down from the mountains. Maybe the Americans are getting closer and we can be liberated. But we saw the German tanks. The Hitler Jugend found us tried to run again, and, but they were dead, they were shooting at us. Unfortunately, uh, they shot shoot, shoot at me, I jumped into the ditch, and they passed, they did know that I was alive or I'm dead, they didn't know, they just left. A friend of mine, he was shot, another friend of mine, he was shot and he died. And luckily I was not hit, and I escaped, so we didn't know what, what should we do go back, or stay here, or what, what should we do? So, this was, so we went back to the mountain, we stayed there about three days at the top of the mountain again. So we heard some noises again. This time we came down to, you know, from the mountain again, and already we saw it, I never forget it, I saw a colored people. And then when I saw the colored people, I knew right away he's not a, not a German, he must be American. So naturally all of us, we just came down from the mountain, mountains. I was very, very fortunate in that. So when I saw the uh, Americans coming in, we came down. Hello, you know, the hog doesn't give us food. I mean, we couldn't speak at all. We were talking Hungarian or German and natural. Mm. We were liberated. That was in 1945, May the 5th. I was not skinny because I was still the food, and I, I had more food than anybody else because what I did, without knowing them, I, I was not skinny. You know, beginning when I was in Auschwitz, I lost an awful lot of weight. When I, when I got to Dachau, I was fortunate I was not skinny. I had my strength and I could work. But we were liberated and we were in a American, I'm sorry, German um, camp where the uh, military used to live, you know, they escaped, so we, uh, we went in there. So one day, while we are there, an American officer comes, and he was happened to be a Jewish guy. He was a high-ranking officer, and he got into the ditch, somehow his jeep went into the ditch. We went over there and we picked it up, the jeep, and we took it on outside, and I started talking to him, Yiddish, because he asked me if I'm Jewish, yes. So, I was stupid enough, I had a prison uniform, he gave me his own uniform, I had an American uniform, but he took the ranks off from the shoulder, Mm -hmm. I had his his uniform. He told me that he he has to go to a certain place, in a couple of days he's coming back, and he wants me to go with him to the United States. But, when I heard this hit, I was so happy, but meantime, I heard somebody came from Hungary looking for the parents. So I, I was talking to this guy, I said, are you looking for somebody? I said, yes, I'm looking for somebody. He's looking for his parents. You know, he said, you know what, what's your name? I told him my name. So I said, are you, I told him my name is Bill, Bela Levy. So he said, are you any relationship to Ferry Levy? I said, yeah, he's my brother. Oh, he's back home. I didn't know he survived. So I was stupid enough not to wait three days for this American officer to come just to get his name or get his number, whatever it is, to wait for him, that at least I would able to get him in touch with him whatever. I was so anxious, I just wow. left the camp, I went, uh, going back to Hungary. But how can you go back to Hungary? You have no money, you have no food, you have nothing. So a few of us always got together. The prisoners. Everybody was going to Czechoslovakia. Somebody was going to Hungary. Somebody's going to Poland. We're just going. Where are we going? We don't know where are we going. We went to the place they call that. Even today, I remember the name Budajovice, <laughs> Czech town, and I was there. And. We were not allowed to speak Hungarian. We were not allowed to speak German because they were very, very much against the Hungarians or the Germans. So I, I went back to Hungary. I went back to Hungary, and I found out my bro- brother is alive. So, uh, I, <coughs> so while I was in a train. I met somebody from Bacta, a Gentile guy. So he said to me, you know Freddy is back home. I said, I know, but Ernie is back home too. I said, I didn't know that he's back. Here. he's alive because it was, I know he was very sick. So he made it. So we got together to Baghdad and I stayed in Baghdad for about four or five months after that and I decided I don't want to stay in Hungary. I came to Canada. I registered myself anywhere I wanna I can go no matter where. In any part of North America or ever is a place to go, not to get away from Europe, because I didn't want to stay there. Luckily one day this came to me that there's taking kids under 18 years of age to, to Canada. The Canadian Jewish Congress is gonna sponsor a thousand kids under 18. But what I did, I changed my year, my age, because by that time, I was already 20. So they wouldn't take me, because I was 20 years of age, so I changed my age to 18. On my paper, when I came to Canada, I was 18 years old on the paper. Actually, I was 20. They told us in Germany, you know, I mean, when we were there, when we were going to come to Canada, because kids, they're going to adopt us natural, nothing happened to us to adopt. <laughs> we came with a military boat, it was in January. And it was, the weather was so bad, even the sailors, they were sick. We had to we had to go get away from the route at about 500 miles different direction because the wave was so hard it was then dan- was dangerous for the boat I was the one so lucky the, f- the boat was still s- stationed in Germany you're not moving yet I was a really little sick <laughs> 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 we arrived in the, uh, in Halifax January 48, in, in, in on uh, uh, January th- 13th, on January 13th, was arrived in, in Halifax. We were so lucky we arrived in Pier 21, everybody welcomed us at uh, the Jewish community. So everybody came and gave us a Coca-Cola. <laughs> I thought I'm a drinking poison, that was the first time in the last time I had Coke. <laughs> It is a fantastic country. I tell you one thing: I always say this. I'm the proudest Canadian, whatever there is. I, do, I cannot say thanks enough for Canada, for many many reasons, many reasons. They gave me a bit opportunity. Mm-hmm. They gave me freedom. They gave me a good life, and I gave me a good family. You know, so being in Canada, I met a beautiful girl. Yeah, yeah, and I married her. Luckily, she said yes. And I'm very thankful for it. And I have beautiful family, but I'm really proud of it. I don't think I can be a luckier person in the world. I have beautiful kids, beautiful grandchildren, and beautiful. I don't know what to do. <laughs> 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 you know? So. But I had a very, very hard life. To be afraid every single day, not to walk on the street, not to do anything. It was a very, very, very hard life. You know, as a kid, to grow up like that, lose your family, lose everybody. And it is, even today, I remember many, many times when you kids were small, and we used to live in. Coxfield. We had no air conditioning in the house, and we left the door open. Just the screen door open. had only a screen. I woke up during the night that they're taking you kids away, the Germans, mm-hmm. and I jumped up from the bed. Then I realized that I'm I'm in Canada, not in Germany, you know. And I had awful for many, many, many years nightmares. They're taking my kids away, they're taking my family away. You live through the whole, all your life. And I always wanted to go back to Auschwitz for many, many, many years. Naturally, my wife was against that. Even that beautiful, when I married, she's still against it. But I felt that I have to go back. Somehow I felt if I'm not gonna have a closure, you know, it's gonna be awful. I went back to Auschwitz, went to the crematorium where my parents were murdered. I see the Kaddish and I felt that a big stone fell off of my heart. Since then, I have no nightmares. Today, I can't think about it. I can't imagine, and I can't imagine how we survived. That heartache, that suffering, that hunger, and not to be afraid like I had to steal day after day after day. And no fear. I was not frightened. You know, Right now, when you go to bed, sometimes you think about it. No, you are afraid. My God, how come I did it? Today I hate to throw away a piece of bread. I don't mind to throw away a piece of cake. I don't mind throw away meat. But to throw away a piece of bread, it hurts me. I don't know what else to tell you today, but the only thing I can say, I'm happy. I'm here. I had a very good lunch. <laughs> <laughs>